Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have uh, Ty Wynn and <laughs> we have Ty Wynn and Alex O'Quirin Jr. from Seaside Poke coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host Mary Clarkson, the owner of La Olivier, the French restaurant in Montrose. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing great, Eric. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining me. Let's kick things off with the news of the week. I feel like every time you come on the show, we have some new heights restaurant-related transactions going on to talk about. This week is no exception. Two interesting new concepts coming to the Heights. One in the fall, one probably more like late winter, early spring. Let's start with the the one that's more imminent, Boss Cat Kitchen and Libations, the California-based whiskey bar and comfort food restaurant that opened on Westheimer near River Oaks District in February has a sister concept. It's going to take over the former glass wall space on Studewood. It is called <laughs> Boss Cat Kitchen and Cocktail Adventures. The owners describe it as a nostalgic-themed comfort food restaurant that draws on the experience and eating practices of its three owners. And hearkening back to their 80s and 90s childhood, let me just let me just start right there. Mary, does that sound like a restaurant you want to eat at? I'd be willing to try it. Um, I feel like Heights and Montrose residents like to support local-owned businesses first and foremost. So I think they're going to have to tailor it to their Heights audience. It's going to have to be a little different uh, than their current location uh, near River Oaks District. Right. I mean, Boscat Kitchen, this the the first concept that opened this year, has been... A runaway success. It's it's got a great happy hour. That bar element, that craft cocktail element, had really been kind of lacking in and around the Galleria. So they brought that. It's open late on the weekends. So and and I will say they have been smart about tweaking the menu. Right, you're you're close to River Oaks. You're close to the Galleria. You know they they were running an all day menu, and it was what a friend of mine called dude food. Heavier <laughs> items, more fried stuff, big burgers. They've slimmed that down at lunch. More salads, some wraps, some lighter items that are designed to, frankly, appeal to the people who eat lunch in that part of the city. So I like that they like they have ideas. They want to present them to people, but if, if they're getting pushback, they're going to tweak things. And so I think Boss Cat Kitchen and Cocktail Adventures has some potential. Now, I will say I got a text message from John Reed, one of the owners. He said, think. McDonald's apple pie from the 80s in a little red sleeve or oatmeal cream pies handmade or a cult classic SpaghettiOs handmade with turkey meatballs as ideas, not that will necessarily be on the menu, but as sort of things that they're considering. You know, I sort of teased him back with, well, why not, you know, Chef Boyardee canned ravioli? Yes. He said, well, that's another thing that we're sort of (laughs) kicking around. It's like, but how do you get the right... You know, how do you get that like canned metallic flavor that's like really such an important part of eating those ravioli? I'm secretly a five year old, so all through those things, as much as they may be unhealthy, sound exciting. Right. And now you're kind of into it. (laughs) 
now I am. <laughs> right. Because now it's not just another heightsy Southern inspired restaurant. I mean, that that's certainly being very well done at places like Southern Goods and Harold's. You know, I I think what's interesting is that the Heights restaurant options are diversifying a little bit, right? Shay that had been kind of the pioneer in that southern yeah, genre is now Alice Blue, which is more European. We have Maison Pucha Bistro, uh, which will bring a, a French restaurant, both a you know casual and more elevated kind of dining experiences. You know, the Heights is diversifying, which brings me to concept number two. Uh, the owners of the Edison, now named Edison and Patton, on the near north side, which was one of my kind of favorite, a little bit under the radar openings from last year, have purchased a piece of property that used to be a trailer park on 11th Street, right next to 8 Row Flint. They don't have a name for what they're doing, but it's going to be a Mexican-themed bar with a tequila and agave program and also food. You know, I think Sometimes we get into like the whole cultural appropriation thing with the white guys making Mexican food, but I don't think anybody's making claims about authenticity here. I think <laughs> there's enough Mexican and Mexican inspired food in Houston that you can do something like this. They're going to go to Mexico, get some inspiration, maybe even hire a Mexican chef. I'm intrigued. I, I really like the Edison. I don't have you. Have I dragged you up there yet? I haven't been to the Edison. I've heard you talk a lot about it. This location's killer. I mean, Eight Row Flint obviously does very, very well. Has a high traffic count right there. I think as long as they stick to their theme and don't try to go the Tex-Mex route, because there's so many really good Tex-Mex options in and around the Heights, uh, that they'll be a success. They just need to be authentic. I think not try to be something else. Yeah, I stick to kind of basic tacos. Maybe a, uh, you know, maybe ceviches. You know, my my memory is from when El Gran Malo was kicking up in the Lazy Brook Timber Grove area. It never, it that the things that made El Gran Malo fun have been sort of replicated at El Big Bad Downtown, but it's not quite the same experience. I think if, but I think if, if this new concept kind of hues to that formula, simple food, really great drinks, Fun atmosphere, big patio. I think they'll really be on to something. Yeah, I mean, El Gran Malo, you're making me think. I had my 29th birthday there. It, it was so cool, and there was nothing else like it there. If something along the lines of that, something authentic, they're going to do great, I believe. So here's what I wanted to ask you, because five years ago, you opened Olivier on Lower Westheimer, right in the heart of so many great restaurants. So many great restaurants have opened since then. We're going to talk about a key here in a little bit, the, the latest one. Sometimes on social media, especially on Facebook, I see comments from people about how much is too much for the Heights? How much of this can the Heights sustain? So I want your perspective on this as, as a woman who owns a restaurant in arguably the highest profile, busiest restaurant corridor in the city. Like, is there room for everybody in the Heights or is there like a, a tipping point where it's too much? So one of the things that I think that's happened is when Olivia and I opened five, a little over five years ago, where we were on Lower Westheimer, we're basically almost to Elgin in the two, 200 block. So that was a real bet five years ago to take a former adult DVD store and invest the time and capital and energy into making it a restaurant. But we did it because we believed in Montrose. It's where Olivier started his career at Le Colombe d'Or, and there weren't a lot of available spots, so you had to be willing to take that investment. And so 
I think because there are no, I'm not going to say there are no more, but there are very few quality locations that come up in Montrose that people have moved to the Heights because it's a much bigger area than Montrose. And at least a few years ago, the rents were somewhat affordable. I think the key ingredient to sustainability here is to not outpricing themselves from this market. If you start to do River Oaks District price point restaurants, that's never going to work in the Heights, um, with rare exception, I believe. I think you've got to keep it casual or semi-fine dining. Maybe there's room for a few fine dining concepts in here, but you know, people in the Heights want to go out often, so you want to be able to encourage them to do that. And if you keep the price point affordable and accessible and a family-friendly concept for the most part, you're going to do well in the Heights. If you go outside of those parameters, it's going to be much more difficult. Yeah, and I think we saw something like that with Arthur Ave, the short-lived Italian-American restaurant from the people behind Helen Greek Food and Wine. It was well-executed Italian-American comfort food, but it was also priced more aggressively than other similar restaurants. Maybe not so much of that in the Heights, but but just in the city in general. And it kind of generated a shrug, like we're not going to pay this kind of money for that kind of food. And then you look at, you know, something new, like say field and tides where most of the entrees are under 30 bucks. It's approachable. You can go there for lunch or for dinner two, three, four times a month even and have, you know, you can have a a big Hulk and pork chop or you can have like, you know, a fried fish sandwich. And so keeping it, approachable will serve them well. And and it certainly sounds like the boss cat kitchen people are on, are on that kind of path. And it seems like, well, I mean, you know, this Mexican themed concept is just going to be a bar. So there, there doesn't seem to be any shortage of bars doing well in the Heights right now. Certainly their neighbor at Flint's doing very well. You know, you can go back a few years to DNT drive in on the Eastern side or even something new like Heights beer garden. That's just full every time I drive past it. All right. Let us move on. You're going to have to help me with this one because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that much about Tila's. I never uh, ate there, but facing the prospect of a massive rent increase, Tila Hidalgo has closed her restaurant. She's going to relocate and work from food truck for a little while. But how, how big a deal is this that Tila's is gone from the Shepherd Curve right next to Backstreet Cafe? I mean, I grew, I grew up near here. Um, this was an institution for a long time. It was a place that a lot of friends and family members used to go to and frequent it. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I mean, I don't want to speak badly of any restaurateur or restaurant operator. It's not my style. But I don't think Tila's has been relevant in a very long time. We've got so many good either Mexican, authentic Mexican, or Tex-Mex restaurants in the city that set a really high bar and caliber of food for me. If if your food's not amazing or incredible, I'm probably not going to go there. And I know for a lot of people it's more, you know, if they have great service, they'll go, or if they have great drinks. I don't think the drinks were ever a big driver here as far as margaritas. We've got uh, Pastry Wars is one of my favorite places to have a margaritas. El Tiempo, Teotihuacan. Um, lots of good places to have margaritas in this town, and this was never one that really came to mind. It's a great, great location, um, beautiful exterior of the building, 
parking can be an issue. Whoever takes this over is definitely going to have to partner with the valet from Backstreet um, if they want to make this an accessible restaurant because there's no parking over here, uh, kind of in the Re- River Oaks Shepherd Corridor. But I, I I won't miss it. I'll miss the space. And I feel like a lot of people had, had grown tired of it, and that's one of the reasons this was no longer sustainable. This is a neighborhood that's seen some other changes Tiala's or Tila's, not T-E-A-L-A, closed last year. It's in the process of becoming a new restaurant called Emmeline from former Fleming's operating partner, Sam Governale. According to a report in the Houston Press Monday morning, the landlord has already found a new tenant for, for the space. Have you heard anything about who that might be? I have not. I know a few months ago I had sent you a little screenshot of when I drove by or had told you about it that there was a for lease sign up. Uh, it's not surprising that somebody would take a bet on this space. The location's just too good, um, and there's too many operators out there looking for either additional concept spaces or for their first space. So, you know, this this type of space will always go quickly in, in a Houston market. Yeah, it's a, it's a very appealing location right next to Backstreet Cafe, right around the corner from the Dunleavy. Certainly, Emmeline is very appealing. I hope to have Sam and his chef, Dimitri, on the show at some point in the near future with the potential for a lot more residential development in the area that could give any restaurant the kind of sustained customer base that, again, like everybody wants that where you can have a restaurant that people will come to two, three times a week even. So we'll keep our eyes on the future of Tila's. I, I hope to talk to Tila for an article on Culture Map this week that will probably be published by the time this podcast is available for download. So hopefully we'll have more on her plans shortly. And then finally, I had a big article on Culture Map updating everyone on Brian and Jennifer Caswell's plans for Oxbow 7, their new restaurant that is opening in the La Meridian Hotel downtown. Mary, did you read the article? I did read the article, and I hope that I get to go for a preview with Mr. Sandler. What about that restaurant intrigues you? Hotel restaurants in general intrigue me because in the past they've never been a draw for me personally unless I have an event or I'm meeting somebody there for a specific reason. Uh, Brian Caswell really was the first chef that made for myself a hotel restaurant a draw. When he was uh, the chef at Jean-Georges at Hotel Icon, that for me was a worthwhile destination. So if he can do the same for this hotel concept, it's going to be a winner. Right, and he's described it as elevated bayou cuisine. It takes its influences roughly from Galveston Bay to Mobile, Alabama, 50 to 100 miles up the coast. What I like about this, and and we had Brian on the show a couple months ago, so strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't already, but he sounds excited about cooking. He sounds excited about this concept. I don't want to go. I don't want to go too LL Cool J on this. You know, don't call it a comeback, <laughs> but I'm kind of inclined to call it a comeback. Or certainly, it's the first. It's the first chef-driven restaurant he's opened since Stella Sola. That was in 2009, and he's surrounded himself with a super talented crew. I'm excited. I, I mean, I, I've had conversations with people. It's like, yeah, I know, I know about a key. I know that Justin Yu's opening a new restaurant called Theodore Rex. 
I know Chris Shepard's about to flip one-fifth to a Mediterranean concept that we talked about on the show last week. But of all of them, I am curious to see what Brian Caswell is up to now. Listen, I love Brian Caswell's food. I have since the days of John George when I first was introduced to his food. Um, I think he's going to do really well here. People go downtown now. People my age and your age view downtown as a place that they want to go on the weekends for drinks. And let's hope that this becomes an additional reason for them to go a little bit earlier and have dinner uh, down there. I'm excited to see Brian Keswell in the kitchen, and I don't know if it's a comeback, but I'm a, I, w- I want to see what his take is on this concept. I think he I think he will do very, very well with it. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Mary, the last time you were on the show, there was really only one new restaurant to talk about. It was a boozy. We broke it down. This week, I think there's really only one restaurant to talk about. It is Aki, the new restaurant from Paul Key, the Austin chef who won Top Chef, the Austin chef who is a James Beard Award winner. We went on opening night, which was a week ago from the day we're recording this podcast. It's now open for dinner seven days a week. I'm going to describe it as modern Southeast Asian food. Definitely has a heavy Filipino influence. Definitely has a Thai influence. And, of course, Paul came up through Uchi, so there are Japanese and French elements as well. He's tapped a super talented crew to help him with this. Gabriel Medina, who was at Katarabata and Soma, and then Narisawa in Tokyo for a year, which is on that somewhat controversial but, but always intriguing list of the world's 50 best restaurants. Nikki Vongthong, who I probably totally mispronounced that. Sorry, Nikki, who worked at Uchi for a long time. And Jillian Bartolome is a pastry chef. She was the executive pastry chef at Common Bond. She's worked for Thomas Keller. She worked at Cyrus, which was a two-star Michelin restaurant in California. It's a super talented crew. We had a really good meal, in my opinion. What did you think of our meal at a key? This whole evening, I mean, the whole evening that we were there, we tried the way that their menu is organized. We probably tried 15 to 20 things. Uh, between our group of six and they almost every single dish that we had I, I really really enjoyed there were some things that were surprising as far as presentation and flavor profile uh, there were very few misses one of the things that was most impressive to me was Gabriel's presence and his cooking um, very very strong presence in the kitchen you can just tell that at first first glance the restaurant itself is, to me, the most beautiful restaurant I've been in Houston in a long time. And it's not because it's, you know, rich mahogany steakhouse walls. It's because it's a Scandinavian-looking, Japanese-looking, minimalistic design that I love. I mean, this could be a home that anyone would would dream to live in. I think the design elements really, really bring you uh, to a place of happiness from the moment you walk in the door. The food was incredible. We'll talk about that, I guess, in a second. But my favorite dish was the steak uh, presentation at the very end. But we can, I'll let you talk more about the food. Well, right. So the the menu is broken down into several sections. We started with a couple of different raw dishes, uh, Filipino-inspired tuni kinila with some coconut milk, and then a, a raw hamachi appetizer that was more traditionally Japanese. 
really the the center of the menu is these uh, perfect bites, which which really are they're priced very affordably. They're three to five dollars a piece for the most part. I know your foie gras was a little more expensive, but they really are. They're just like they're they're not even the size of a, a piece of sushi. They're they're just like little one biters, very flavorful, very intense. We made the mistake of trying to split them. That was a bad decision. Don't do that. <laughs> if, if you're there with four people and all four of you think one looks good, you're getting four pieces. We also had some vegetables. There was a, a market veg that we really liked. There was a mushroom dish we were very impressed by. I think the highlight for me, I mean, the steak was delicious, but the, the Filipino-style lechon pork belly with the incredibly crispy skin, the super just juicy meat, was probably the standout dish for me. The only thing we didn't like was a, a whole roasted squid that just didn't was kind of overcooked and and uh, just not very flavorful. But but for the most part, we had start to finish. We had a fantastic dinner. Did you have a favorite? Or what did you like about the steak? I, I won't say did you have a favorite dish because you asked me that. But what was it about the steak that stood out for you? So the steak presentation that night, I believe, was a diff- it was a ribeye. I believe it was a Mishima, yeah, a, a very good quality uh, domestic wagyu ribeye. So seared. it was cooked on. Um, it was presented on a skillet, a cast iron skillet, and it still had the jus from the steak uh, sautéing in there, and I believe it was on a little bit of a bed of onions and some yeah, other... some charred onions. Some charred onions, and that flavor of the onions was incredible. The presentation of the steak was incredible. I mean, that was kind of surprising for me. I was thinking most of our meal was going to be very light, a lot of fish, a lot of vegetables. So that was a surprise, a surprise for me. Very, very good. Uh, the desserts, um, we only did one dessert because... Most of our group wanted uh, to try some desserts at another concept afterwards, but the dessert that we had was very light, very refreshing. Presentation was beautiful. Uh, I I really enjoyed everything that they did. The coconut there was a coconut bread that we had uh, that was kind of very surprising. Not something I, I've ever had in Houston anywhere, and that was that was a nice uh, treat as well. Yeah, and I think that really gets to the heart of what makes Aki so intriguing is I don't think there is anyone in Houston doing this kind of food. Paul is Filipino. uh, His heritage is Filipino. Gabe's is too. Them getting an opportunity to explore some of these flavors that they grew up with, elevating them, throwing great ingredients at them. It's safe to say that there's nothing quite like it in Houston if a boozy is kind of CNBC, kind of a party spot, uh, for people who are serious about food, this is this is definitely a must-visit restaurant. This is for the foodies, for sure. This is for when I when I think about Montrose restaurants right now, chef-driven, concept-driven restaurants. You know, a lot of people think those kind of concepts are dead, but in Montrose, it is the heart and soul and essence of what restaurant tours typically are in Montrose. I mean, they are chef-driven, restaurants, concept-driven, and and we don't hold back in that. We're, we typically stay true to ourselves and what our concept is, and this is exemplified at a key. All right. And then you spent the weekend in New Orleans. Yes, I did. So I was just wondering, do you have... Certainly Turkey and the Wolf has gotten a lot of press recently. It's, uh, I think Bon Appetit just called it the best new restaurant in the country. It was on Bill Addison's list of the 12 best new restaurants in the country for Eater. I know you ate there. I did. Tell us a little bit about Turkey and the Wolf and then 
maybe like one or two other places you hit while you were in New Orleans? I'm an old school and new school, new school girl at the same time. This trip exemplified that for sure. Uh, Turkey and the Wolf actually was a suggestion. Excuse me, suggestion that my mother made a few weeks ago when we were there uh, together for a trip, and. I was surprised my mom picked this, first of all. I mean, I was like, way to go, mom. You nailed it. Uh, so yeah, mom, I, <laughs> mom has surprisingly cool taste in restaurants, apparently. Yeah, I was like, thanks, mom. Okay, I'll just look to her for recommendations. But my second visit was equally as good. Uh, this concept only has about 10 dishes on their menu. They have five sandwiches that rotate on a daily or weekly basis. The same uh, sandwich I had previously was not on the menu this time. Um, I had a lamb roti sandwich. And then I had a collard greens sandwich, and both of those were excellent. I had deviled eggs uh, that were pretty good, and then soft-serve ice cream with four different toppings they have for dessert. They have a couple salads. Very simple concept, very inexpensive concept. At 11 a.m. when they opened the doors, there was already a line of 30 people outside. If that gives you an idea, I mean, the word is out. Um, very popular concept. Old school, we, uh, let's see, I went to, um, I was going to try to go to Galatoire's for lunch like I did with my mom a few weeks earlier, but they were packed. So went to Antoine's Baked Alaska for a classic French dessert. I mean, come on, everybody loves something like that. The service is exceptional there. And then my other favorite probably was Canaan Table uh, in the quarter on Decatur Street. Wonderful cocktail spirit program. I had a rum old-fashioned that was exceptional, and their food was pretty good, too. All right. Thank you. We will uh, at our New Orleans Dispatch, the list of things that this podcast covers. Mary, thank you for joining the show. We can follow you on Instagram at La Olivier Houston, and, of course, on the web at LaOlivierHouston.com. Yes, sir. All right. I will be right back with Seaside Poke. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown, open eight days a week, as they like to say. It's a great place to go. Uh, If you're going to an Astros game or a Dynamo game, Great place to go before the game, have a couple of beers, maybe a bite to eat from the Eatsy Boys food truck that's always parked on site. You know, beat the uh, beat the stadium prices for both beer and food while having a great local product. You know, certainly I have drank more than my fair share of Dome Foam, their cream ale, and Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. But the fun thing about going to the brewery is that there's always something new to try, whether it's Haterade, their Goza, whether it's Vice Timer, the Hefeweizen, or the IPA, their double IPA that comes in at a relatively hefty 8.8% ABV. So thank you to Eighth Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I am joined this week by one of the owners and both of the chefs from Seaside Poke. Working from my right to left, Alex, why don't you start and just introduce yourself? My name is Alex Bokirin, and I am Chief of Operations of Seaside Poke. I am uh, Vati Sheree, also known as Chef T. I'm the Executive Chef for Seaside Poke. Uh, my name is Ty Wynn, and I'm the Culinary Director for Seaside Poke. All right, Alex, let me start with you. How did you get into the restaurant business? Well, I've been doing restaurant, oh, 
just food and beverage in general um, since I was 15 years old. Um, initially, when I went to college, I wanted to do construction science. Well, I didn't want to do it, but my parents wanted me to do it. Um, but then I slowly figured out, you know, I really love the food and beverage industry, and I decided to stick with it. Um, so I decided to go to U of H for hotel and restaurant management um, with a minor in beverage marketing. And um, yeah, since I was 15, I've been in restaurants all my life, uh, from fast casual all the way to fine dining. And um, after college, um, I actually went into sales. I was still in beverage, the beverage industry. I was working with Glazers distributors. Um, and then I kind of figured, you know, I really want to get back into the restaurant. And so I found this concept and here we are today. All right. And then chefs, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up. But Chef T, you worked at MF Sushi? Yes, I worked at MF Sushi. Okay. What was your sort of path to the sushi world? Uh, my path in the sushi world, I uh, started out pretty young. Um, after I did sushi for about 10 years now, around, around a seven year mark is when I really dove into and I found uh, Chef Kinjo here in Houston. I asked, hey, you guys are hiring. He said, yeah. And from there on, I took a chance, came here, and progressed into sushi. All right. And then, <laughs> Chef Tai, you were at Uchi yes, before sir. you were at Seaside. Yes, sir. What was that experience like, and, and how did you wind up at Uchi? Um, so I, loved, I, I really loved working at Uchi. I mean, everybody always asked me, like, where did I went to culinary school? And I always tell them I didn't, and I just tell them I went to Uchi. Um, it was a really good experience. I learned a lot. It was a really great people. Um, but how I got into sushi was um, I started working from like the bottom, uh, worked all the way, way up, started working in food trucks. Um, and then I, my first like professional kitchen job was at the Fish and Knife. Um, and it was kind of a weird mix of like French cuisine and sushi at the same time. So it was a weird route. And then the next job I got was at Soma Sushi. So that kind of like launched me into that sushi direction. You know, you, you've all, you're all from, well, certainly at least two of y'all have worked pretty extensively here. Poke is very new to Houston. So, so what was it about Poke that sort of grabbed your attention? Did, were you, did you go to Hawaii? Did you go to California? When did you sort of become aware of this cuisine? Well, I think we definitely saw it through social media main, um, initially. Um, a lot of people went to California and, you know, they were taking pictures and stuff like that. And you know, we totally fell in love with that whole concept and everything. And um, so we like pretty much like um, chicken, pork and beef. There is a fine dining and there is a quick service and fast casual concepts for it. Um, sushi or raw fish in general, there's only mainly just fine dining or like sit down. And so, I mean, it was only like a perfect fit for like another fast casual that serves that type of food. Chef Tai, when did you when did you have your first poke experience? My first poke experience was when we actually went to Cali together. Uh, I went with Alex and a few other people. Um, like, I want to say two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago. But yeah, we, ha we had that, and uh, it was pretty awesome. It was just really cool to see, like, a deconstructed sushi bowl, like, on the go. Because, like, like he said, you usually get sushi, like, at a sit-down restaurant. You know, I feel like poke has been such a phenomenon this year, but, but maybe we should define it. Shifty, how do you, what, what is a, for people who maybe haven't tried poke yet, how do you define what, what makes poke different from sushi? Well, <clears throat> poke itself is usually, it was served as a snack back in Hawaii. So how to define it to people is it's, it's sushi on the go almost. It's, it's like a poke is a easy way for, and if you can't sit down and get sushi, you get poke. It's, it comes with rice, it comes with fish, all mixed ingredients. It's almost the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Sorry. one of the things that I like about poke is that it's affordable. Yeah. Typically, you know, a, a poke bowl with a pretty filling portion is somewhere between like ten and fourteen dollars. Right. Absolutely. It also doesn't take itself very seriously in terms of its toppings and flavors. I mean, Chef Ty, why don't you, I mean, I know you guys have a, have a whole range of toppings at, at right. Seaside. So um, going off of that, we just we want to take that fine dining experience and put it into a fast casual restaurant, right? Uh, we, we feel like that's the new wave of how people are going to be eating. So we, we want to give you a fine dining experience and give you fine dining quality of food uh, at a more affordable price. Um, we want to put give you really farm fresh ingredients, bring you really uh, other ingredients that you really haven't tasted and atypical flavors and combine it into these bowls um, and serve it into like a really spectacular way. Yeah. I, I do want to get into, I do want to get into kind of the ways that you've set Seaside apart from some of the other similar concepts that have opened, but I just want to kind of stick with poke as like an idea I mean, you know, you can get, you know, like I think of sort of, you know, sesame seeds and avocado and crab stick and, you know, onion as kind of traditional sushi right. ingredients. You know, I've been to poke shops with, with red hot Cheetos. Right. Right. And you guys have, you guys have fruit components. You have nuts, I think. Is that right? So just that there's a, there's a whole array of toppings that, that approachability, that affordability and that playfulness is kind of what I, I think makes, Okay, so hot right now. Alex, what do you think it is about this trend that's got people's attention? I think the biggest part about this trend that got people's attention is the fact that it's build your own. Um, like you're able to like just pretty much dictate whatever you eat. And the coolest part is it's built right in front of you. And so like, like that's definitely like probably the biggest thing. Because like, I mean, anything like it's not just like a set menu. You know, every person that comes in that store has what, like, could put whatever they want. Like, not, not one bowl is, is the same. Um, and, like, that's definitely, like, the coolest part. Just completely customizable. I mean, when you guys are putting these bowls together for people, do you ever, you ever hear somebody, like, read out a combination of ingredients and, and tell them that maybe they shouldn't do that? Yeah, absolutely. We tell them, like, sometimes. We make our recommendations, um, you know, uh, what flavors go with this flavors, right? Like we try to avoid telling them, for instance, like um, our spicy aioli wouldn't, might go well with the orange Supremes. Um, might be a little weird, but we make our recommendations. And at the end of the day, if they choose to put in their bowl, like we're more than happy to do it, but we do make our recommendations. And then Chef Ty, when you're putting the pre, when you've put the, the bowls together that have a preset combination for people who maybe don't know exactly what they want, like they just want to take your word for it. What what kind of guides those choices? So, uh, are you talking about the signature bowls? Yeah. All right. So for the signature bowls, uh, we kind of when when the customer walks in, it's their first time coming into our store, first time eating poke. We kind of uh, lay it out for them and tell them like, you know, we kind of probe them with questions such as like, what are you in the mood for? Are you going for our like a savory, going for a creamy, or you kind of go for a light? So like our salmon ponzu is more like a, the lighter side. They're not trying to eat something too heavy. And then when they're really hungry, we're trying to uh, push them to go for like the um, the tuna aioli. Or they just want to try the our take on classic poke, which, you know, we would recommend the classic or even the truffle shoyu because they're our soy sauce base. So they're a little bit more savior. And then Chef T, you've been working at sushi restaurants. What about what about this particular project made it appealing to you to to get out of sushi and into poke? 
Well, I wanted to get out of sushi one because I feel like I was ready for a business venture. And then secondly, um, using my uh, sushi skills, I, I believe we were able to provide a whole different, you know, like we're doing pokey concept, but we want to take it to the next level. Like do things that other pokey places aren't going to do, like take the time to like fabricate these fruits like a certain way or actually get creative and dehydrate things and all different techniques that we learn. We want to pretty much take poke to a whole new level than every other place is doing. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think my my initial impression of, of having eaten at several of the poke restaurants around town is that they're all kind of the same, that the, the flavors are kind of the same, the, the ingredients are kind of the same. You seem to be breaking through a little bit. I know Houstonia just called you one of the best new restaurants in Houston. I don't think that's, I think, I don't think that's just good PR. I think that that's, that there's something about Seaside that's, that's captured people's attention. How does the quality of the, the fish compare what you're using at Seaside versus what you were using at, at Uchi and MF? Well, of course, of MF and Uchi, they get pretty much the best fish you can get. And for us, we would provide the best fish that we can get as well. We're not going to, well, well, we could get you like Otoro poke if we wanted to, but we're not going to do that. You know, we have to like provide the best quality fish at a good price as well. And uh, our, our fish is pretty much up par to very, to a lot of sushi places here as well. And coming from those restaurants, we like uh, made friends with the vendors. So we actually use some of the same vendors that they use as well too. So, but this isn't, uh, this is better than like grocery store sushi. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. <laughs> For sure. More sure. Like night and day. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, do you, do you think that that's important? I mean, like if you, maybe not like the Katas and the MFs of the world, but like kind of a, say you take like a step down to maybe more conventional sushi restaurants, like all those menus are kind of the same. They differentiate themselves with service. They all seem to do pretty well. Do you think that that's important in poke to be different or is it just to be like, can you kind of do what everybody else does and still still do okay? I mean, I think it's like, I mean, it's just really a matter of like what's important to you. I mean, if you like, if you want, if that's what you want out of your own restaurant and stuff like that, of course, like it's definitely like really like a great thing to do. Um, I mean, what we try to do is, you know, like, like T and Ty say, we're trying to like take it a step forward and, you know, trying to raise the bar and stuff like that because this is a very simple dish and like, you know, it never really had these kinds of ingredients before and until like recently, you know, like it's it evolved from just poke to a deconstructed sushi roll in a bowl. So like, you know, we're acquiring or utilizing different types of flavors, different types of things and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, I think it's definitely really important. I mean, especially if you want to like, you know, like creativity is definitely like a really big thing um, over at Seaside. And, you know, we try to push that creativity in these bowls, you know, like trying to like mush all these flavors together into something very simple is not necessarily the, the easiest thing to do. But I mean, it definitely like pushes it. We try to raise the bar. as much. And then let me just ask you, because you're you're part of the uh, the East Village development. You're right next to Chapman and Kirby, a, a very hot new nightclub you're you're going to be right next to agricole hospitalities three new restaurants that are coming in what's your experience been like in Edo so far i mean how are you how are you feeling about that neighborhood as a dining destination i think it's awesome um i used to live there like three years ago i used to live there when i was in college and like only thing that they had to offer was tex-mex um quinn's which is an amazing Vietnamese restaurant and then um 
pretty much that was it. Um, so like, you know, when we moved in there and stuff like that, like people from all the residents will come in and be like, man, I'm so glad there's something different out here. And, you know, like as far as an eating dis- destination, you know, it's, it's getting bigger and better and it's getting a lot more busy. Um, I mean, it's very central to like all parts of Houston. We got U of H right next door. We also have the downtown area. We're like five minutes from Midtown and we're about five minutes from the Heights. So, I mean, as far as like an eating destination, it's very accessible and, you know, it's definitely a great place to eat. And then Chef Ty, like what's the reaction been to the menu? Are you, what are, what do people kind of order? Like what, what are the top like two or three sellers? What are people typically getting? So the top three, I would say like the top one right now would be the truffle yellowtail. Um, the second one would be the salmon ponzu. And then the third would be the tuna aioli. Um, people are, and actually people are ordering more of their build their own because they're kind of being more adventurous and see what the combinations that they can come up with. And we do encourage that. Uh, we want them to take that step with us. But we, if it's their first time, we do want to introduce our signature bowls so they can get a little glimpse of what we offer. One of the things that I've, I've seen some people comment on is that you don't marinate the fish before right until people order it. Right. Right. Does that hurt the flavor or how do you kind of balance? Cause I, I obviously you, you can't hold it for as long. What's the, what's the, where do you, where do you kind of balance that like practicality with maybe compromising on flavor a little bit? So, I mean, um, even in traditional sushi and in Hawaii, they have two types of poke where it, one is marinated and one is tossed in the sauce. Um, uh, we ran through like a lot of test runs with it, and we actually came up with the conclusion that we like it without it marinated because the salty levels of it, the fish coming, and it gives it a different texture too. It makes it mushy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chef T, what uh, now that you've kind of established yourselves, like, what do you think? Where do you think culinarily you want to go? Like, what what are the are there proteins you want to add? Are there toppings you want to add? Are there like well, if they like this, then like I didn't know if people were gonna like X combo, but now that I know that they do, I can I can go in some new direction. Uh, as far as as that, we are going to start doing a lot of a lot of things on the culinary side. Um, fall season's coming up. Um, I'm waiting on a new uh, product list. Uh, Western season, we're gonna do a lot of seasonal vegetables for fish. I'm going to find some fish. Lo- try to find some locally here out the Gulf. There's something way off the coast. I think there's certain types of amberjack and yellowfin to catch out of Louisiana we can use. Mm-hmm. And then also there's also I'm trying to bring in maybe a different kind of snapper as well. We're going to do some more R&D, going to play around a little bit. And yeah, we're not going to get pumpkin spice poke, though. No, we? no. <laughs> <laughs> we did uh, do a pumpkin spice rice crispy, though. <laughs> right. I I do kind of wonder about that. You're, you're one of the very few poke restaurants that has dessert. I mean, they are rice crispy treats, but they're. I mean that matcha rice crispy treat's pretty killer. <laughs> do you do you see growing the menu? I mean to appetizers or sides or or do you just is just doing poke good enough? I think um for appetizers and sides we were considering it, but the uh, poke is pretty much the hot spot right now, but I think we I'm actually thinking about throwing a ceviche under one time, like maybe do a limited quality as well. Uh, summertime's about to end, so I think a nice cool ceviche would be a nice way to like complete the summer. Right. And we're also trying to throw in some like chips and dip. Uh, we're working on that right now. We're doing something along the lines of like uh, salmon skin chicharrones, and then a green sambal dip. So it's kind of like chips and salsa. So we're trying to offer that whole range of variety, so you kind of get a feel of it. <laughs> and then Alex, I know you guys have plans to open in the Heights. 
I always screw these developments up. This is Lowell Crossing, right? Shepherd and 18th. Is that still is that still on the cards for you guys? Um, we're in, in negotiations for a second location, but that is still in the works. What will determine whether or not you open a second? Or are you committed to the idea of a second location and you're just trying to find the right spot? Yes, um, absolutely. I think it's just like, I mean, I think our long-term goal is to open a bunch of locations um, in or out of Texas. Um, I think it's just more of just finding the right spot and just we're ready to take that next step. I mean, I don't really think there is like an actual time frame where we have to like hit but i just think whenever we're ready we're about to just we're super- i mean when you're when you're writing a trend like this do you worry about trying to strike while the iron is hot or do you think that poke is more sustainable i mean absolutely i think like we should definitely hit it when the iron is is hot i mean especially since like there's a lot of competition coming in come in from like all over the united states and stuff poke is here to stay um like i said before like you know chicken pork and beef has like a a fine dining and a fast casual concept. And you know, this is, this is going to be the like, fast casual concept to the fine dining. So it's not savory cupcakes. No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> do you, do you look at some of those kind of, you know, sushi donuts? Do you, do you look at those kind of social media trends and think like you want to get involved in that? You've kind of stayed out of it so far. Yeah. We kind of try to stay out of those trends. Um, but we do encourage people to keep on thinking um, because I think, Poke is the perfect vehicle to, you know, take on this new fast casual wave. Um, but, you know, we just try to encourage people to. It's also super Instagrammable. There's something about the way the bowls get put together, the colors. They always look really pretty. How conscious of you are that? How, how much do you attribute your success to social media? A lot, definitely. I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, it is definitely like, picture worthy and everything like that and you know when people come into the restaurant um they take pictures of their bowls every time like right before they eat they take a picture and then they they put it on their social media and so i mean i think definitely the best marketing that we've ever had is definitely word of mouth and you know that definitely could have definitely wouldn't be if it wasn't for taking pictures well and i think your your restaurant itself right you have all those iconic houston images on the walls that certainly helps too right you give people something to take something some sort of background or something to take a picture of right right yeah i mean a lot the 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 art installation definitely we want we really wanted to do is like capture the essence of houston and more specifically east downtown so like in our art installation we have um, a lot of famous people who came out of houston um a lot of our local a lot of our local vendors and stuff who we get our um, ingredients from are on there as well and then what me and my uh, my other partner, Christy, what we did was we actually just walked around East downtown with our iPhones and took pictures of different mo- like different monuments and stuff like that, like different places in East downtown. And we just put them on a fish and put them on the wall. So I can't get you, I can't get you to commit to a specific second location yet, huh? No, not yet. <laughs> I can't. What are, what are your goals in the East downtown location? I mean, are we going to see late night service to appeal to the club? Are you trying to grow your lunch business? Like, like in the next six months, what would you like to see happen at that location? I think in the East downtown location, I think we definitely want to see like a lot more growth for dinner. Um, we definitely have captured like a really good audience for, for, for lunch. Um, a lot of people from downtown definitely come in for lunch and everything like that. But I think like especially for dinner when, when all the residents come back from work and stuff like that, you know, everyone there's there wasn't really much to choose from. And I think within the next six months, like I think that dinner crowd is going to get really, really big, especially since 
you know, all the other concepts are going to come in as well. So like hopefully the next com- couple of years, like Edo will be like a really good dinner, de- uh, dinner destination. All right, gentlemen, we have reached the point of the interview that we like to call the lightning round. I've tweaked it instead of five easy questions this week. It's six easy questions because I was feeling somewhat creative <laughs> or maybe I was just sleep deprived. I stayed up all night watching Game of Thrones. Uh, we're going to do this in order again from my right to my left so starting with Alex what's the first restaurant you ever worked at first restaurant I ever worked at was at Erla's Sandwich in Sugarland. Shifty uh, first restaurant was Osaka Japanese Cuisine in Memphis Tennessee <laughs> and Shifty uh, Fish and Knife on Westheimer which is no longer there <laughs> oh I, re- I remember it well so many so many weird stories about how that restaurant may or may not have been financed but we won't we won't get into that. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what's the first concert you ever went to? Reba McIntyre at the Rodeo. Love it. Shifty. Uh, I saw multiple artists at Something Wicked Festival in 2014. Uh, I went to Kid Cudi at House of Blues. Your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present, starting with Alex? Probably BJJ Watt. Mine would be Brian Cushing. Uh, Tracy McGrady. I think that's both our first Cushing and our first T-Mac. I'm into that. <laughs> Uh, the best new Houston restaurant you've tried recently, not Seaside Poke. <laughs> Definitely be owned in Bel Air off corporate. Yep. Amazing food. I love it. Yeah. Super like got that cool Blade Runner vibe. I like, I'm into that restaurant. I definitely have to say own too, because that's the only new restaurant I've been to. It's amazing. <laughs> Great. Love the watermelon soju. <laughs> uh, a key on Westheimer. We were just talking about that at the earlier in the show. Yeah. We had a great, uh, Mary and I had a great meal there. Uh, last week. All right, your fast food guilty pleasure. Like, what's the one fast food menu item must come must be able to be ordered through a drive through? What's your fast food guilty pleasure? Chick fil A all the way. Anything Chick fil A I can eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Me it has to be nuggets anywhere. Nuggets all day. <laughs> uh, Panda Express. You gotta get that orange chicken. <laughs> I love it. It's my guilty pleasure. All right, and then this is this is the the one question that the entire audience will judge you based on. So, just think carefully before you answer. Where's your favorite place to get a taco in Houston, Texas? Brothers Tacos off of Dowling in East Downtown. That's showing your neighborhood some love. I think that's a good that's a good smart call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite, hands down, is El Gato on Westheimer. I always go there. Very nice. Um, I don't know the name of it. I just they don't really have a name. I think it's, it's on Highway 6 in Clay. Uh, they do the Apostor on the Trompono. Yes. It tacos to Trompo and anything outside the Beltway is automatically a good answer to this question. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having right, us. Thank you. We can follow you on Instagram at Seaside Poke and, of course, SeasidePoke.com. You can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler, and, of course, Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news all over the Houston area. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. You can now follow us on both iTunes and on Google Play. We always appreciate your comments and your ratings, but like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. I'll see you next week.